This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Hey everyone, before we dive into this episode, and it's a fantastic episode with James Sambrano, we wanted to mention really briefly that we give a lot of praise to Binite Studios, who produced the newest version of Mind's Eye Theater Rules for the World of Darkness, particularly Werewolf the Apocalypse, as well as Vampire the Masquerade. However, recently there has been some turnover in the company of who owns Binite Studios, and while uh, it appears that some of the issues that have arisen with Binite Studios have uh, hopefully passed. They may still be present, may still be a concern for people to keep an eye out on. So while we give a ton of praise to the folks that worked with Binite Studios to build the book, it may not apply to the current company that exists as Binite Studios. Um, you can make up your mind on that uh, as you wish. And if you are interested in supporting the authors who created most of the work for Binite Studios, they work for a company called Mighty Narwhal at this point, or they do some freelance work for Onyx Path Publishing. So look for those folks in those places and just know that be careful when company names don't change, but the people behind the screen do, and make sure that you know what you're getting into. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca. Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am your host, Josh Heath. This is an interview episode, uh, so it's going to be a little bit different than our book review format. I know we've been doing a lot of interviews lately, but there's a lot of uh, good conversations we've been able to have with folks. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and continuing the creation of these great interviews and the book reviews and everything, you can check out our Patreon on Werewolf the Podcast on uh, Patreon and help uh, support everything that we're doing. And if you are interested in, in particular, getting involved with our persistent uh, Werewolf 20th Anniversary game, you can do that by becoming a backer. So something to check out if that's something of interest to you. And today... I am joined by the wonderful writer, James Sambrano. James, how are you today? I'm fantastic. How about you? I'm doing really well. We had a good pre-conversation to this recording that I was really jiving with, and I think it's going to give us some interesting things to talk about. So, James, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, uh, your background in regards to writing for Onyx Path and White Wolf Games, and kind of who you are as a, a geek and a, a gamer in general. I have been working on the Mage 20th line. I think it's safe to say since before it was technically announced, I was at least collaborating with Seder to talk about some ideas about what would be addressed with it. I believe I have credits on every book in the line, if even if even if it's only as like a, a collaborator, uh, but but plenty of uh, author credits too. The one that I'm I'm personally the most proud of is God's Monsters and Familiar Strangers. I love working on that book. It was a fun book to work on. I also have been playing White Wolf games, um, World Darkness specifically, since I was about 15 or so. After my brother bought a copy of vampire the masquerade and was like run this for me and i was like the hell is this this is this is a really interesting cool dark thing and i'm into that kind of stuff i have an indigenous heritage and um i'm from i'm i'm chiricahua apache and uh quota indian and uh, i do a lot of advocacy for that as well and i like to uh address those things in when i'm when i'm gaming period but I but I've done it a lot with White Wolf games. Some of them some of them less so. Vampire is not the best for it. But but like Mage and Werewolf especially uh, have a lot of at, at minimum borrowed ideas from indigenous culture uh, and 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 also some really direct stuff as well as we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons uh, Josh and I started talking about doing this interview was because I was telling him that 
I have a long history running LARPs locally, some of them pretty big. My, my biggest one regularly had 60 players once a week. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was int- it was it was not easy to run. <laughs> yeah, sixty um, players once a week. That is definitely not uh, an easy game to to manage. I will I will never do that again. <laughs> um, however, I did do I did that for almost two years. And uh, but m- more recently, I ran a that was also a werewolf game. But more recently, I ran a werewolf the apocalypse game with the the new by night book, uh, which I'm actually a big fan of, even though I, there's room for criticism there. I, I agree with a lot that was done with it. And that game was centered around telling stories about the pure tribes, what they care about, um, what their role is in the group nation, what their role has been historically, and the way they've had to learn to work with the rest of the Guru nation, or in some cases not work with them. It was also an exploration of a little bit of applying some decolonization theory to gaming um so there's a lot of cool stuff we're going to talk about surrounding that i believe yeah that all um sounds awesome to me particularly when we look at um, methods to decolonize gaming and look at problematic material and and pull out good things and and learn things about ourselves and help other people educate themselves as well as enjoy themselves at the same time um it's definitely an interesting process of, of figuring out how to balance those things. It's very hard, <laughs> especially I feel like even even when you're given like a really interesting, colorful tool to work with, like I'm going to be very specific in this case and say like the setting of Werewolf the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. which has, you know, the the benefit of having a lot of indigeneity and indigenous practices written into this overall theme. Uh, and I don't mean just the fact that the pure tribes are part of it, but also there's a lot of aspects of werewolf spirituality is directly borrowed from from some indigenous spirituality. Yep. Um, however, it's also the other way you can look at that, and fairly and, and rightfully, is that it's been appropriated. And so it's really important to to I think learn more about what the, what these stories have to offer and teach us, but also where they're falling down on the job by being able to look that stuff directly you know, in the eyes and, and, and confront it. And, and that often is, in my experience, a, a really important technique in decolonization. A lot of times it's not, it's not letting stuff just slide by you. You have to look at it and be like, we have to, we have to take this apart. We have to take this, we have to take apart the structure that was built through a colonial mindset or colonial action and, and disassemble it. Um, even before we can get back to like just having a good time, because, uh, the process of disassembling it is is going to teach you to move past your own colonized thinking. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can actively be anti-racist or anti-colonialist is to understand that some of the things that we think are fine or are not problematic or are even occasionally based in culture are actually complete myths that have been constructed and have been constructed yep. for a specific reason and understanding that and then deconstructing it uh, allows us to hopefully move to having more fun so everybody is having fun and engaging in the material uh, in a healthy way yeah yeah and 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 you know again with werewolf a really simple place to start with that that i think um a lot of people won't see uh, just by glancing at it, but when you break down the pure tribes, you know I'm going to expand into mm-hmm. all three here um, sure. because this, the third we don't talk about as much, but I think it's worth it to do it here. Every single one of them is a stereotype of indigeneity constructed by colonizers in order mm-hmm. to devalue those peoples uh, in some way or another. You know, in one in the case of Elder Brother, we have like the sneaky, untrustworthy, up to no good Indian who's playing tricks on you, right? In the case of uh, Younger Brother, we have angry, I hate all white people, blah, 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 you know, just rage here, here to scalp you, really awful spaghetti Western stereotype. And even in the case of the Croton, you have the problem that they're kind of like the Oh, everyone, you know, should leave live in peace and harmony, and we can all be friends if we are we're just kind enough to each other. Kind of, you know, Navi Avatar esque representation of indigeneity. The premise we're starting with, even in a game that has gone, you know, in its time when it was written, went above and beyond other games to even say 
we're going to make indigeneity a central part of this story. They're, they're, we're still starting with the premise of each stereotype was a colonial construction built to deny the humanity of these peoples. And even, I think, the the framing of these uh, tribal groups as pure versus the uh, worm bringer or European Garu or other non-North you know, uh, non or South American werewolves, the idea of framing them as pure focuses, I think, to some degree on that noble savage Absolutely. stereotype. And Absolutely. it's one of those interesting things where you look, uh, Native American culture was incredibly advanced and technological and... Yep the as you know the the structures of of land management were so advanced compared to what happened after the fact it's just it's frustrating to see that framing of these are people that are just angry or are just sneaky and um trying to keep things hidden from people it's 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 frustrating to lean on those tropes but you're you're right there's representation there so how do we I guess, how do we balance that? Well, through a lot of hard work and self-examination. <laughs> in the context of this particular LARP, which was called I Give You Blood, I started with kind of the, the basic idea that around what we're talking about now, which is like this, you know, the representation of th these groups have, have historically been pretty problematic in the books. E e again, even though I, so I always want to give, I always want to honor the fact that there was inclusion at all, but like that inclusion is... It's like the diversity check mark, right? It's like mm -hmm. the first step in mm -hmm. in the process. It's not enough. So I, I what I what I did was I, I said, okay, well, what are the stories behind? And, and in this case, the two because I'm, it's a modern story where the one doesn't exist anymore. What are the stories behind these two tribes? And what is like the core idea? What is what what do we need to talk about that applies to what it is like to be a real like. An indigenous person today and, I, and you know i have my own experience of that but i'm also one indigenous person who if you're gonna look at my heritage you say yeah you know that's that's more associated with Utena. um so i'm a little i have a little bit more distance from the other tribe even though my personal feelings and heart align with them really well so i examined really i, I was like okay these are awful stereotypes right these are there, there's some there's a lot of gross stuff built into this but also there's like some real story back here there's some real story behind each one. And so what I'm going to do is pull that story out and let's talk about that. And, and in my opinion, uh, there's probably a lot of different directions you could go, but the way I went with this and, and what I feel is most important is that each one of them is telling you a really different but important story about how indigenous people responded to colonization and the apocalypse. And I say the apocalypse with a little a here. Mm -hmm. because um, one thing that isn't that is sometimes harder I think for people who come from colonizer cultures to take into consideration there's a lot of people like part of the fun of this game is like the apocalypse is coming or the apocalypse is here and there's a lot of other gaming we do like zombie stuff for example right where like a fun setting is is trying to survive for the apocalypse and how awful it would be but something that needs to be taken into consideration for indigenous folk is that we've lived like we've been living through through an apocalypse for like the past two hundred years. Mm -hmm. That that was an apocalypse for us. It still is. We're still living through an apocalypse. Um, yeah. And so and an apocalypse is just in some ways another term for for active genocide. Yeah, d d d destruction of all that made you what you were, mm -hmm. which is again you know fun to explore in games, but also traumatic to experience. What I looked at between the two of them was that there's really good core ideas behind each one and their approach to their the apocalypse and in the case of older brother it's adaptation in uh, resilience and um, in some cases but but I think in ways worth examining more closely than than we might initially feel about this word uh, assimilation assimilation integration instead yeah. of assimilation well I, I don't want to integration is good I would add it mm -hmm. I still want to add us I still want to talk about assimilation mm -hmm. because it is important to at least examine the idea of the story behind these people that there have been some assimilationist choices mm -hmm. made in order to survive. 
Um, and that ultimately those choices haven't helped survival. And that, that's a thing that's important to look at and talk about. And I think it's a, a valuable and worthy criticism that you often see written into the books that younger brother looks at older brother and says, you've given up who you were. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, and I, I'm not trying to be like one way is right and one way is wrong, but I do think integration is correct. But we also do need to look at the fact that this particular group of people have made some assimilationist choices. Mm -hmm. And that's something worth discussing. It's something worth exploring. Oh, oh, also, the one other thing I would add in for Older Brother is that they've also chosen. I think that a lot of people sometimes look at the two and are like, okay, well, Younger Brother's the angry one and Older Brother's the logical one. Well, if you look more closely and also if you examine what it would actually be like to have this heritage, I can guarantee you that... Uh, Older brother's mad as hell too. Older mm -hmm. brother is bitter too. When you and when you really deep dive into the writing, that's real. They just, they just don't touch on it as evocatively as younger brother does. But they have chosen, you know, uh, to respond to that feeling by taking on more responsibility for what they saw as their charge from since time immemorial, since they came, since the beginning of times for them. Whereas younger brother gave in more to the anger. So it's not that that anger isn't there. And I think that uh, older brother in every way deserves to have their anger with the worm comers. And might I go so far as to say the worm bringers mm -hmm. um, it, it is something that, you know, they, they should be given a lot more space. I think to like either when running your stories or playing them is what I'm saying to, to, to explore because I think that you, when people, sometimes people are like, well, you know, Uten are a lot easier to have in my game than, than younger brother because they're, they're, they, they're not as mad at everyone else. I'm like, well, no, they just, they just bite their tongues. That's mm -hmm. the difference. They just they're sublimating their it instead of screaming at you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is trauma presents differently for different people and, and, Yes, generational exactly. trauma presents differently for different people yes and if you want to go you know examine some contemporary indigenous issues or even i would just i, I even take a step back from that and say contemporary issues of people of color you know there's a lot of talk about quote-unquote respectability politics uh, which is essentially the idea uh, it, it comes from black thinkers of the 60s primarily mm -hmm. the idea that you know the the right way to get the um, white people, colonizers, whatever, the oppressor, I'll say that, the oppressor, to treat you as you deserve to be treated as an equal is to play by their rules and, and present yourself gracefully and respectfully. Mm -hmm. And the wrong way is to uh, embrace, quote unquote, the stereotype of who they think you are, to, to embrace the other in a timely way this whole issue with Orlando Jones being fired from oh, yeah. uh, American gods. And the reasoning that Orlando took away from it, from what he was told was that Mr. Nancy's anger gets shit done. Philosophy wasn't the right message for black America. That was what he was told and why he, why his character was written out of the story. Mm -hmm. And told um, that by a white guy who was like you, this is not how black people want to be portrayed in media. Yeah, Which, yeah, and that that in its own is problematic, and we could explore that to death too. But but more more specifically, what I'm getting at here is that that white guy who claims to be super like forward thinking and progressive about racial racial issues. I've seen him talk about it. That guy is advocating for respectability politics, mm -hmm. um, whereas Orlando Jones is saying. Or not Orlando Jones, but I guess, you know, yes, Orlando Jones. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, we, we know that he wrote a lot of lines for that character. So, yes, Orlando Jones is saying, you know, there's validity, there's validity to anger. Anger gets shit done. Anger's powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, to link into Ibram, uh, Ibram X. Kendi's work, who wrote a couple, he's wrote two books now that are wonderful. The first is, but um, it's a history of racism. Um, in America and slavery in particular and how it dovetails with racism in America. And he uh -huh. wrote a book, a second book called how to be an anti-racist. And in it, he talks about assimilationists and how assimilationism and this idea of being 
uh, seen as like the one percent of black people, the 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 good ones, and he uses a couple of other terms that were thrown out there. Um, that feeds into racism because it yes. builds the blocks for people to be like, oh, but you're different. Yes, one hundred percent. And um, to take our our big discussion that's more addressing our world down to the the werewolf i think that's an important thing what was the reason why i didn't want to say in the reason why i didn't want to say integration instead of assimilation but instead but i wanted to say both is because you do have that element of older brother who's like no 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 i'm here to i, I will work with you i will work with you I'll, I'll be okay and if you see you have both an in-game theme response but also more importantly in my opinion a player response to that being, oh, well, the older brother's good. Older brother we can work with. Sure, they're, you know, they've got their, their sneaky and their little, maybe they're tainted by the worm, but, but we'll work with them. Whereas this other tribe who doesn't play with the worm's tools, so isn't dealing with that in the same way, they're like, well, you're so mad, we don't want anything to do with you, and you're the bad kind. You, you know, again, even out of just people looking at what's written like i i saw something just recently talking about how younger brother is just a hollow cultural stamp or something like that and and i'm like well uh is it worthy is is the material written on them worthy of criticism and does it have problems yes but also it's talking about this talking about indigenous folk who are angry about what happened to them like that is so dismissive and dehumanizing yeah how do you address that um that element of, of anger then when presenting the ice hearts like what's the what are the tools that you use to integrate that into a story or integrate that into the story that you told in a way that was true to form or or at least um healthy accurate i don't know what the right word i want to use there would be i don't know either but i i understand what you're asking um the the thing that we uh got a little tangential but i was going to say what what i was originally saying all those descriptors of like what's at the heart of these two tribes um i think so and i talked mostly about older brother but in the case of younger brother examining what's at the heart of them uh you can't ignore anger uh anger is pretty important it's a huge theme of that of, of I would argue that more so than any other group of werewolves in a game about being mad as hell, mm -hmm. no one is more about anger than that tribe mm -hmm. um, as written. But when you stop there, you're missing huge, huge important themes of these people. And I think that incorporating anger, especially, you know, since we since we invoked Orlando Jones... Uh, Mr. Nancy, I think that, you know, Mr. Nancy's idea of anger and and what it is and, and the power of it is a really good thing to write into how you're understanding the tool of anger within Younger Brother, as opposed to what gets written a lot. And even in the whole story between what happened with Sasquatch and the current totem, it really focuses a lot more on how anger eats you up and destroys you inside. And it really deserves to have a lot more attention given to the power of anger uh, i might be wrong on this um but i believe and and you can correct me if you know i believe that if you take that particular totem as your as your pack totem um oh speaking of totems uh, that's another issue but i'm gonna mm -hmm. go ahead and use just the words so with, people yeah. understand <laughs> sure um if you take that as your pack totem i don't believe it gives you i might be wrong but i believe what it gives you is a bunch of extra willpower not a bunch of extra rage I think you might be right, which is interesting to note that it doesn't give you extra anger as it, as it, as you might assume that it would. Yeah, which is I think something to think like you know I don't know if whoever wrote the stats or whatever was even thinking about it. It's a good chance they weren't. But the way I think about it is the lesson of that totem is to use that anger to to do powerful things to push through. And what what I was going to say is one of the one of the most important ideas at the heart of Younger Brother that I try to bring into, into running stories about them is the, the concept of survivance. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like what tools 
you use and the and the methods you use to work to to work through you know trauma and genocide and how you use that to reclaim your power this is like a academic term that's way more complicated than that but basically that's 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 where i'm coming from the thing about younger brother that they were they were the tribe i fell in love with first um i i ended up playing a first because i identified more closely but i i still to this day love younger brother to the bottom of my heart and and one of the reasons is because i i look they have so much to be proud of because when the apocalypse came for them and it came for them worse than it did for older brother. When you really look at it, it came for them so much worse. You had like, what is it, like the Geta Fenris and the Silver Fangs and the Shadow Lord and the Theana and the Red Talons all sweeping in to take their Cairns and their kinfolk and kill them. The older brother dealt with stuff like that too, but um, they were so, they were in a lot of ways more remote. Farther away, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also went. They had a lot easier time of when the the worm comers showed up, being like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We're doing an important job here. Pay attention to us. Also, look, we have all this knowledge for to teach you." And and there was a little bit. Not, I'm not going to say they had a great time, but there was a little bit more of a slowdown. Where in the case of younger brother, it was just decimation, and it was brutal, and it was unkind. To and and to this day, you still have thematically written in the books like get a fenris being like haha too bad you should have been stronger yeah, you know like which, um yeah which you hear sadly you hear people say those things today as well um yeah and i think they're the two tribes are a good reflection of the difference between what happened in the northeast with colonization where um suffice it to say my ancestors are were on the mayflower and a couple of boats afterwards so were involved in this, but the sy systematic er and brutal eradication of people in the Northeast was was complete, like nearly complete. There are so few native peoples in New England because of the, of a concentrated effort, and yep. th that would have an impact if the if the Ice Hearts are in that area, which they were from canon. That's a reflection of those two waves i guess you might say of, of settler colonization yeah. to those regions i believe canonically it was a combination of younger and middle brother and one of them's gone entirely mm -hmm. um and uh, i th i think today as recently as last year or the year before for like the first time the shinnecock who are a uh, a new york tribe mm -hmm. are are developing a program to reclaim their language Mm -hmm. And and that's an, a big that's an important thing that's worth celebrating, but 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 like at the same time, if you look, you know, in the plains and the Southwest, the programs for language revival or language teaching, I should even say, because revival isn't as necessary in those places, are are prominent and powerful and have a long lineage. Like like I never ever want to come across saying that one indigenous group, you know, had a great time compared to another one, sure. but. You know, you do have to look at how thorough was the ethnocide on the East Coast and the Northeast mm -hmm. um, compared to the Southwest, which is why I make that comparison. Because I think that thematically when you're exploring what these two groups are dealing with, and honestly, I feel like you could also, in a lot of ways, you can discard specific territorial territorial borders of specific tribes when discussing this mm -hmm. and instead talk about there are indigenous groups in Central and North America, who, which is, I, I'm only excluding South America because primarily those who these two groups represent, right? Um, who were more thoroughly attacked and destroyed than others, and they there were also people who responded in different ways, and some responded, as in the case of older brother, with with adaptation, um, and some responded in this other way that I, I again, I, I mentioned the Shinnecock because I think it's a very younger brother story which is like okay yeah everything was lost today the shinnecock tribal lands is like surrounded by rolling golf courses and mansions uh, of extremely rich white people on long island who are constantly trying to kick them out because they don't like the the bad element quote unquote mm -hmm. um 
and but they've stayed there. They've held their ground and they're they're engaged in this revitalization project. And I feel like that's a really powerful story of of younger brother and something that should really get explored more thoroughly be, because what you have there is their method of their they are teeth gritting survivors. They they tooth and claw, they dug into what little they had left and refused to move and today mm -hmm. can stand on that fact proudly and be like, this is who I am. This is who my ancestors were. I will not change because of the horrors of your people and what you brought to us. And I am still a proud warrior for my mother and I will die fighting for her. Mm -hmm. And you can see similar um, reflections of that in the central band of the Abenaki in New Hampshire and the Mi'kmaq in, um, mm -hmm. in, in Maine, in northern Maine, where they're like, look, like we have held on to these little tiny parcels of land and just said, we're not going anywhere. And we're going to yep. like do what we can to buy our land again and like get the rights to this space and just remind people this is ours and while we can't claim it all back, we're going to claim as much of it as we can back and really like remind folks that we still exist. Yep. Yeah. And this is like, it's such a powerful story. And, you know, I, I think it's really missing a, a huge, huge theme in this story that has been get, like built for us to, to enjoy when people say stuff like, Oh, they're just a hollow stereotype of whitey haters. Right. I think that they're right to be angry. Their anger is righteous if anyone has as much right. To, you know, let, let's, who is the second most right to be angry? Maybe the Red Talons. But, you know, even right. the Red Talons <laughs> stole the kinfolk of younger brother while all the European guru were, were killing them. Like, the, you know, they could have come in and be like, we'll help you protect them. But instead, they just swept in and stole them. Yeah, like... It, we supposedly respect wolves more, and yet yeah. we're not going to show any respect to your territory, yes. which is so unwolf-like. It's you know what I think it is. Um, I don't know if the, the I, I would say I don't know if any author has explored this, but I've put a lot of thought into it and talk trying to figure out how to tell stories like this. I think it's because ultimately the Red Talons are also European guru, and they also did engage in the process of colonization, and even though they have chosen uh, arguably wisely, arguably very foolishly um, to focus on embracing their wolf side. They still have human lineage. They're part human and their human lineage comes from those people. And it comes from people who had those ideas and philosophy. And historically they've been engaged with guru politics for, you know, a thousand years or however long it's been. I don't think there's an exact number um, given to us with people who think that way so it makes sense that they showed up and acted that way yeah and yeah that you make a good point there in that we don't actually know the age of the guru nation as a thing no and the concept of all of these i have some struggles with this the concept of this er nation of all of these disparate ethnic groups spread out across the entire world why do they have a single king? Why do they have this single national identity? I understand it has something to do with like spirits and their essential nature, but it's, I have a, I have a struggle with that as a concept. And I wish to some degree werewolf was more about the nations of Garu rather than the single nation of the Garu. You've, you've read the, the way they wrote the the by night the new by night setting right yes oh yeah and how Which they I, split it into like two kind yes. of nations almost that mm -hmm. are still tentatively working together yep i enjoy that book uh, it has some elements i'm not a huge fan of but overall uh, i like what they were where they were going a lot i like the folks that worked on it and the different things they tried to bring to the game can i can i have a brief tangent to tell you the thing that i love the most about that book especially specifically as a larp setting book yeah please the writers, I don't think, say anything about this directly, but when you read through this book, they remove every, like, specifically when it comes to um, Thrall of the Worm, mm -hmm. 
and the Black Spiral Dancers, they remove all of the all of the thematic sexual assault from the game. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, great, because allowing even just a sentence of that in a book you're using to run this LARP isn't it hurts people because yeah. there's always someone who's like, I'm going to bring that theme of the game. Like, you know, but like it happens. And like, we, we probably all have stories that at least, you know, someone where it's something like that's happened because they've been like, well, it's, it's part of the story right here. Yeah. Um, and while on one hand, I understand that they're trying to write horror uh, on the other. I think that's cheap horror. And also like, we, you need to, be better and in that case in that specific book they did they were better and i was so i i I was head over heels upon seeing that it had just not even been mentioned it's just gone not there Mm -hmm. i'm a fan of that i was also a really big fan of um i think her name is verity who is uh, a trans woman who is the like signature character in the book and a member of the black furies and i was like yeah i the way it was written and the way um, her story is acknowledged, I was like, this this is the way, and I've talked to some of the writers on it, and like they intentionally did this, like this is the way to do trans repre- representation mm-hmm. right in mm-hmm. these games. Yeah, there was a lot of cool stuff like that. I love that. I love that they wrote in not just even they they the that the the largely the Furies have turned against some of their turfy attitudes that have been written to them before, and that while those still exist, they're definitely in the minority. Um, and also that you know at least to a degree they'll even accept some uh, male members. And then what do they call them? Counselors, the leaders of the tribes um, for the Geta Fenris is a a woman. Yes. Uh, thanks for mm-hmm. for doing that for like the most toxically masculine tribe there is that has a huge problem with hating women. Mm-hmm. So I am a Norse pagan. Uh, I use the term heathen usually. So I have some strong feelings about the Geta Fenris. Yeah, and their ridiculous presentation of uh, even when they're supposedly anti-Nazi of effectively being, you know, neo-Nazis and uh, representing everything that's horrible, horrible about this modern ultra masculine, like Mannerbunda thing, which really only began in the 1860s. If if you stretch like (sighs) anyway, yeah, they get a Fenris. Um, But yeah, at least the Binance Studios book was like, we're going to adjust the tribes enough to let people play these without feeling, feeling like they were stuck having to play a horrible, like you're still a monster, but you don't yes. have to be a human style monster to be a monstrous werewolf. Yes. I want to give an extra little like kudos to those authors, to those developers at Binance, because um, even though I've been thinking about this kind of approach to a decolonized werewolf story for a long time. It, it was cracking that book and reading, reading the way that they had been like, we're going to rewrite whole elements of this game to make it healthier for people trying to LARP and have a good time that I was like, shit, I could do that for the pure tribes. And like, there's, I, I think they did a really good job of it, but like there, they didn't really do much with the pure tribes in, in to the same scope that they did like with the black theories and the, and the Geta Fenris um, that I was really excited about, and the Black Spiral Dancers even. So I was like, but but like I'm inspired by what they've done here, and I could go in here and run this game this way, um, and that's what I did. I, I I really was inspired by the work they did in that particular, uh, I guess almost like multiverse like version mm-hmm. of Werewolf. So tell us a little bit more about what things uh, you did with the tribes uh, in the game that you ran. When I was building the game and inviting people to come play in it, I was like, the game is going to revolve around this theme. And and it wasn't just, you know, pure tribes forever. It was also a theme of environmental racism was something I really addressed in it. And the story itself centered around Endron building a oil pipeline through the Pacific Northwest that was going through this specific area that was being guarded by primarily Younger Brother and Black Furies who had teamed up to do it, mm-hmm. um, but were losing the fight and begging for help. I did a storyline that in a lot of ways mirrored what was going on at Standing Rock, just 
you know, months previous to, to me running this game. Um, and, and in that way, drew a lot of interest just from everyone because, you know, even with that, that was so big, even, you know, non-Indigenous folk were, were had their hearts in it, right? Uh, and it was a really easy storyline to adapt to Werewolf because, you know, the, the Pentex corporations that do that kind of shit exist, that are written, that are written into the theme. And so that's what I did. Uh, but I also was like, and it's going to center around this. And like, for those of you who've been in my games before, because I had some returning player base from the previous one in which the pri- one of the primary elders of the previous game I had was a younger brother, Thayerge, who uh, I had to deal with a lot of out-of-character racism in response to, um, but, I, but I stood my ground about mm-hmm. um, a lot of, you know, the whole like, well, I'm not responsible for what my ancestors did kind of stuff. So don't treat me bad. But uh, I was like, for those of you who've been in this, like, I'm going to look that even more dead in the eyes than I ever have in any game before. And so if you want to come, you know, explore that theme with me, you can come do that. But, you you know, I, I want you to be ready to be cool because it's not going to be easy all the time. Uh, and then on, on top of that, you know, so I built a really complex history of what specifically Younger Brother had done in that area. And I built it around the emphasis that they put into... I'm going to say this. So locally, uh, one of the local tribes... Uh, Washington has a, a lot of tribal presence. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like the Southwest but I would or, or the Plains, but it's like up there. Um, and uh, one of the local tribes, the Lummi Nation, I say recently, but like I guess like five-ish years ago now, invested a lot of their political weight which largely for indigenous people rests on the sovereignty they have over their own land and people into fighting a coal terminal that was being built here to transport coal by rail to locally and then by ship to China. Um, mm-hmm. And they won that fight. Uh, oh, wow. With, with support from some, you know, of the, the, the local county and stuff like that. But primarily the mm-hmm. Lummi Nation were the people who stopped that coal terminal from being put in. And it was a powerful story. And so I thought about that. And I also thought about the energy you put into protecting your kinfolk and your traditions. And I built a history of what Younger Brother had been doing here around those two ideas. Around using what, you know, around building up and protecting their kinfolk. And around their kinfolk, in fact. Because... Mm -hmm. When, uh, younger brother has this weird thing where they're not allowed to have contacts and stuff, right? But their kinfolk aren't limited in that way. Uh, and so I built it around how they invested all this energy into building up and protecting their sacred traditions and their kinfolk and their families. And at the same time, the kinfolk were investing their energy into politics and using their political power to fight in our setting pentex because pentex was very interested in this you know lovely pristine green and blue corner of the world that that they would Mm -hmm. like to decimate um and so that and you know there's a lot there's a lot more detail behind that story but essentially that was the theme i i worked with for them and then um because by the time the storyline is starting i i wanted to write in a reason for lots of people to be showing up um, I had to write in like, okay, you know, but the actual guru aspect of this, you still have this powerful network of younger brother kinfolk, but the guru are 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 less and less every day, which is just a general theme, but also one that younger brother has to address much more specifically. Uh, and so there's they they originally got started to get help from Black Furies to protect these areas since they're both very, especially in that specific setting, they're both wild focused, a part of the same faction, which I can't remember the name of right now. The more traditionalist one. Oh, um, oh, I can't remember them either. But Sanctum of Gaia is one of them, and then the that's it. other. I, yeah, I think Sanctum of Gaia. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Sorry if I am, <laughs> but you know the one. That, but they're written thematically to be more associated with the wild, while the other faction is more associated with the Weaver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had those allies in that way, but even they were starting to to lose that fight. Um, and so the setting started with help being called for and, and the way I brought in older brother's story was I brought in a, um, the person who I would 
NPC is the the sept elder. Um, I think it's called elder instead of alpha in this version. Who was older brother, and uh, I brought in a lot of the th- that theme specifically through that character. What I explored was there's a lot of stuff, but but for as far as it, the indigenous theme of the tribe, I explored how older brother responds to this thing by taking responsibility and and by be by and and you know if you want to look at that more just an indigenous lens by by emphasizing your role as steward so i had this character come in with with their pack to come in and be like you know i my duty is to be a, a steward of this land and even though this land belongs to my younger brother my younger brother asked for my help so i'm here to help and and that's how I brought in that theme. And then um, there was a couple, most mostly with with older brother. I I had, I I, I had the players who were playing them, um, help me bring those themes in because I only had the one NPC because it really is that territory is younger brother's land, so I really only had the one NPC. And then like I was coaching in and out of character the the Octeta players to to help me bring that theme to life, um, which was a really rewarding thing uh, both for me and from what I've heard in response from them. I Can I say a, a one thing in particular that this makes me think of is that one of my biggest struggles with Werewolf, and as I've been thinking about what will hopefully happen with our fifth edition that's coming out soon, is how, how and why are Garou ethnic, if they're going to be ethnically tied to people, they have to honestly have real ties with kinfolk and with the people of the lands they live uh, within and around. They have to actually have these bonds that are reflective both of the culture they come from and from their Garu culture as it impacts the culture of their kinfolk. And I, it sounds to me like you've done a good job with this of localizing uh, the ice hearts in this particular region and then saying there are also some good ways of looping in older brother into those same linkages and connections and making it feel more honest, real. I don't know what word works, but more true to how real cultures grow out of things. Uh, I think that's true, generally speaking, for the whole theme of this story. Um, and there's certain tribes that emphasize a lot more. And I think Younger Brother and the Red Talons are excellent examples of it being hugely emphasized. I think that, though, in specific to the, the you know, the older and younger brother, both of them, when you when you look, again, when you go back to the story of how they survived apocalypse brought by Wormbringers in different ways each one of them turned to their kinfolk older brother was like we need more because ours are being killed so what we're gonna do is go and you know bind ourselves to others who are suffering in similar ways to us Um, if I recall correctly the first group of people they reach out to are actually uh, enslaved people um, in the south and mm-hmm. then it just expands from there. Um, but uh, uh, in a different way, um, Younger Brother says, the only way we are going to survive is by preserving who we are. And who we are is tradition and family. Mm-hmm. So they hunkered down and poured all of their energy into preserving those two things. Like both their their actual, like, cultural traditions like art and and dance and song and things like that and their people their their kinfolk their the their children to come um which is you know again a hugely indigenous story when you look at it and i wish it was something that was focused a lot more on with that particular tribe instead of rah rah we hate white people Mm -hmm. um I mean, again, and you're allowed to if those are the ones who are making it so you have to protect those people. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they, both of those, the stories between both of those people um, revolve around, the, uh, both, uh, both their survivals revolve around how they tended to and treated their kinfolk. And, and I'm going to, again, draw this comparison. Um, I think Guru in general are written 
to be very family focused and to care a lot mm-hmm. about their kid folk. Um, even, even, um, even I would say maybe uh, probably the, one of the, the more disconnected groups might be like Glasswalkers and to a lesser degree Silent Striders. But even they, like, none of, they're not like, we don't care about them. They care deeply about them. Like, even though you can say that these might be the least connected groups. Um, uh, Silver Fangs, I guess, sometimes treat them really badly, but it's not like they don't care. I think that when it comes to themes of indigeneity, um, focusing on your community and your family, which is an aspect of that community, and in some ways is your community, um, is... Uh, just an indigenous way of thinking. And I think that for the colonial way of thinking, uh, it tends to be less so. So uh, it's interesting that the the more the the worm comers um, in in this story still tend to have a lot of family focus, um, despite the fact that they've embraced a lot of colonial culture. Uh, which is mostly based around the deconstruction of family and community. Yeah, it is. It it, it is. Because um, you know, for a lot of reasons, but you can honestly even boil it down to um, the way that you achieve power in a colonial society is to move into a place of power, which often and take it, which often means leaving family behind. So you have to be willing to leave family behind to acquire power. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in this specific setting, it's not written like the difference between indigenous peoples and colonial peoples isn't written that clearly because, as I said. All Guru are really family focused. But when I was trying to tell a pure tribe story, I tried to make that a forefront of the story because you can't tell a story about indigeneity when there's no family. That just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you integrate players that were playing um, non-indigenous tribes then? Because uh, I imagine that you had white players that were playing Wormbringer tribes as well in the game. I, I'll, I'll be kinder to them and say they're playing Wormcomers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, there, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I actually said ahead of time, like, I don't want anyone to walk into this game thinking that this is a good reason to come in being a, a huge racist asshole. Um, mm-hmm. Even if it's written into the theme, I'm, I'm not about that. Um, and also, we straight up have, in, in this game, every single player that played a Pure Tribes character had indigenous heritage of some kind or another and um i was like and also there's me and i was like i don't want to go through having to be traumatized by you being out of character assholes and i'm definitely not going to put these people through it either so that's 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 just like we can we can touch around the history but people who come here again the the theme of this story was a call for aid and so the people i was like if you're coming here you're coming here to help if you want to play a character who's coming here to cause a problem, to hurt people, to take power from people. That's not the theme we're exploring. I don't want that character in this game. That's just, I just mm-hmm. straight up said it that way. And, you know, uh, I know for a fact that that will sometimes deter players from games, but I didn't care. Um, yeah, that, that, you need to set those limits because yep. you know what story you want to tell and what themes are comfortable for your players. That's That makes sense to, to set those limits. Yep, exactly. It was to me. It was more about like protecting my players than it was about sure we can give a nod to this theme. And I still gave a nod to the theme through the environment and through the history, but I wasn't willing to let players roleplay being racist assholes to actual people of the race they're being racist towards. Yeah, um, that's not helping anybody by doing it, uh, that. And, and, you know, for the most part, everyone was pretty cool about it that chose to join the game. I'll say, if I recall correctly, um, on opening night, we, we ended up dwindling, as most LARPs do, to a smaller player base. But on opening night, I believe there were 49 approved characters playing on the first night. So wow. it wasn't like, and it wasn't like, like, no, people were like, well, I guess we're not showing up then. Like, people came, and there were still problems. There was one specific player who ultimately I had to ask to leave, but it only came up with one person. I do think there might have been some people who chose to leave because, how do I say this gently? Um, they wanted to cry some white tears about someone role-playing about an indigenous gamer, role-playing a character that was younger brother being like, hey, I don't want to be your friend because you 
I think this particular character had like pure read four. Mm. You look like this person, and I have ancestors five, and that and my ancestor is telling me you're the person who did like that's the person who did this, this, and this to me, to my family. Mm. So mm-hmm. I don't you know what, I'll I'll work with you, we'll work in this sect, but I don't want to be your friend, and I'm not gonna be your friend. And I think that and that player decided to leave. <laughs> but you know, that's the thing about this particular setting too is like a lot of the response from people with colonizer heritage is well i'm not responsible for something that happened 500 years ago like i didn't do that even though the problem with that is like well you're benefiting from it to this day and and you need to Mm -hmm. address that um Mm -hmm. but in this particular setting you're talking about a society that engages in active not only ancestor worship but manifesting those ancestors spiritually or through your physical presence and having to confront that with each other all the time, even outside of the interactions between the peer tribes and the, and the worm covers, the game in more than one book and setting has talked about how often due to these two backgrounds, right? Ancestors and peer breed, again, another problematic name for a different reason, but you mm-hmm. know, for reference sake, it often creates tension like, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, you're the heroes of old, and I recognize you, this great story, so you deserve extra credit or whatever. Like, we're going to give you more respect. But also, like, sometimes you have two people who are manifesting ancestors that hated each other. And that, that's a thing that's been written about outside of this particular specific tension between these two groups. Mm-hmm. And I think that allows some space for... there. Uh, Obviously, there are when two cultures have been in conflict with one another, they view that conflict from different lenses, from their own version of the history. And not saying one is right or the other, but the way we talk about that history is often different. And you have an opportunity there to have people honestly look at it and go, well, this is my version of the story. And the other side to say, this is my version of the story. And then honestly have a dialogue about that in character and then yes maybe out of character be willing to talk about it as well like that's always my hope is that people are then able to take the next step and go maybe we can talk about how these things reflect on our own history together yes and i will say that even though i did have a couple issues with one again a a player had to ask to leave and some choosing to leave because the themes were not something that they were prepared to deal with by and large i feel that it ended up creating a huge amount of powerful discussion around um, not only the experience of being an indigenous person, but like the history of colonization. I'll just briefly throw in that like, uh, I also made a huge theme in this game, interaction with ancestors. It was a huge part of the game too. So that made a big difference in it being like up in in the player's faces also. I I will say this at least, uh, when it came to people who decided to leave and the game wasn't for them. Zero of them were the indigenous players. <laughs> zero of them were the, the the people playing Pure Tribes characters. They That's uh, as to to at the end of the by the time I was by the time the game was over, like my my understanding, and I'm still pretty close friends with I want to say all but one of them. They all got a lot out of it. Um, a lot of catharsis came out of it. There was like scenes of like turning into a giant werewolf and tearing apart construction crews and Mm-hmm. and pipelines and stuff like that and and that was like a, a powerful feeling in the in the kind of like dust of having seen you know trump sign over the bulldozing of of the standing rock camping ground um it, it helped a lot of people work through that particular um sadness of, of that event having just occur um so so you know in, in the end like is it important to always address the needs of all your players in the game like to the best of your ability um but i even though i had a few people who struggled with the themes in this game by and large i the fact that i was able to do that for for that particular group of people um and for myself if i'm going to be honest about it was the most important thing for me and and if, and also i want to be really clear that i didn't just ignore the stories of everyone else like i mentioned that the black theories had a huge role in this game um i played around with a lot of glass locker stuff actually uh and their role Oh, yeah, their role in fighting Pentex and being allied. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is my opportunity to have a story about the Glasswalkers and younger brother being working together. And how often do you get that chance? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so, which yeah. actually if you look at some uh some like what's the word i want to use um like uh, acceptance of technology and things like that within like native groups where they're like we're trying to uh use technology to both save language and culture but also technology to like uh bring like keep our like um like heating and like electricity and things like that like the merger of technology and and native tradition there's there's a story to be told there that's true to life i think uh it is and and it's um i wouldn't even i I wouldn't even say the acceptance of technology so much Mm -hmm. as uh, indigenous people have been scientists and inventors um, since time immemorial, since long mm-hmm. before there is even a, a whiff of the white man on the air. Um, and, but, but the way that that science and uh, scientific way of thinking developed, developed a little differently because a lot of Western science developed around the idea of um, ultim- ultimately, not originally, but ultimately it, it developed around monetization. And a lot of indigenous sciences just didn't have that issue. And so today, uh, you know, I mentioned Lummi earlier because they're a big inspiration in this game, Lummi Nation. And um, they have a a, a college out there, Northwest Indian College, uh, who has been, I believe, received like honors and rewards from JPL and NASA like two or three times at this point Mm -hmm. for their astronomy program, which incorporates indigenous sciences, sciences that that were around since before uh, colonizers showed up. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't need to go on forever, but I could because I'm an indigenous historian and I'm obsessed with it. Um, but, like, there's so much technology that, that indigenous people had that um, sometimes people will come out with the whole, uh, oh, indigenous people, you know, ultimately were the ones who lost in the conflict because their technology, they didn't have technology and white people did. Which isn't true. Um, there were just different technologies, and and it was mostly the reason it happened was because white people were more willing to engage in genocide. That's right. the big difference, and and disease. Um, but yep. you know, followed up by people who thought genocide was okay. Um, but uh, uh, so so I guess where where I'm coming to is with both of these particular werewolf tribes that are also indigenous people. Um, I, I've never felt that it was appropriate to say either one of them had a problem with tech, technology. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to say with Older Brother because they have an entire faction devoted to learning the secrets of the Weaver. Uh, and so that kind of makes sense. You know, they got like their own computer hackers that like to go hang out with the Glasswalkers and stuff because that's the cool secrets that they're into. Um, but I would also talk about. Um, you know, people write, rightfully, I think, um, Younger Brother is being more closely associated with the wild, particularly because I think of their connection to anger. Um, and the wild is written in, this, in the theme of this game as being kind of uh, antithetical to technological advancement. However, there's just certain, like, it's, there's certain, like, easy examples, which is like, you know, who showed colonizers how to get beaver furs? You know, mm-hmm. that's an easy example. But mm-hmm. like more specifically, I think that there's a really good story to be told about the younger brother, um, maybe even being sometimes for being a, a tribe that is like, no, no, the wild first, sometimes being really heavily siding with the weaver. Um, and that is in like they not that it's wrong to elevate your human kinfolk and your human kinfolk's traditions to being sacred and to protect them, but they do put so much emphasis on protecting tradition and if and, and not changing, right? And not letting the world change them. And if we are going to flip the werewolf cosmos into the mage cosmos, which is easy to do because they're basically the mm-hmm. same from different perspectives right. the weaver is stasis mm-hmm. um and so in a lot of ways younger brother embraces stasis 
which I'm not criticizing necessarily, though I think maybe you could run a story around criticizing it. But I think it is a really cool theme of that tribe that no one really talks about because they're written so heavily like wild first all the time, right? I think that's a fascinating like lens because it offers so many different story hooks and lanes to go down. I love one of my frustrations is the the wild weaver worm separation is now nowhere near as clean as the Garu think it is. And I oh, love yeah. playing in those spaces where it's like, are you really wild when you're out bombing things, Ratkin? Or is that the <laughs> worm? Like, come on, mm-hmm. which which member of the triad are you really representing here right now? Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Ratkin. I got my eyes on them. <laughs> I don't trust them. <laughs> fair <laughs> james this has absolutely been a fantastic conversation i it's getting late for me so i'm going to McLeod have us Comptech bring it to a music. close but okay, fine. i really appreciate your uh, your time energy McLeod. and thoughts here thank you I for listening really to another to episode um, of werewolf the podcast you, know, you can become you can a patron of werewolf of our talk podcast I can, via I can do this for a long time but i don't need to for folks that are still games. trying to figure out the answer to the question when will you raise or come by back Googling to us, us again for, for the next episode